also Cleveland, Ohio can be a very like dangerous place where there are a lot of good souls and a lot of great potential that falls victim to like the darkness that is that is in Cleveland, Ohio. And the big thing was just moving, relocating or like whatever you have to do to rehabilitate yourself. A lot of times that also means like putting yourself in a new place so you don't fall victim to old things or so like you don't get caught in a constant cycle. You kind of do need some extra help. And so it's whenever somebody does reach out or is resourceful, it, it's even more of like gracious. And because we have the desire to want to do better or we do have certain plans, it's just all we need is just a small little like favor from someone or all we need is just like one or two resources to really just get ourselves going go in and do an opportunity, even if you don't feel like you're the most prepared for it. Like you can learn along the way, you can make the necessary mistakes, but like quickly learn from those and quickly like figure out what to do right, you know? Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. Before we get started, I, I just want to say something to you that are listening, watching, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that our paths crossed and that you're here listening to this show, that you want to create, you know, something beautiful in your life, uh, you know, and have committed to do so. And, and not only for yourself, but also for uh, the greater good and and uh, for the world to be a more beautiful place. I, I truly believe in abundance and I do believe that we can achieve our dreams and without, you know, hurting somebody else, uh, it, it could be a very beautiful experience. This, this thing called life, uh, it does have its struggles. We, we, we do have to go through uh, some storms and we, we need to learn to dance in the rain sometimes as well. It's part of the journey. I, I study success. I think the mind is such a beautiful space if we learn how to love it and control it. And, and, and that's why we're here today. And, and before we get started, I also want to thank uh, Remarkable. I'm, I'm a big fan of writing down my dreams and goals. And I always put pen to paper. And never really like typing it on my phone or on the computer. I always start on pen to paper. And now uh, with the Remarkable 2, it, it's pretty awesome because it feels like writing on paper, but it's actually uh, stored in the cloud, stored on your, you know, Remarkable. And it's super cool. Uh, what I also like with the Remarkable is, is that I can just send cool articles from my computer and read them without any colors, without any, you know, advertising and just read it, make my notes directly and just save it in the cloud. So it's almost kind of going back in time, but moving forward, slowing things down and, and just enjoy uh, the word and the pen to paper. So thank you, Remarkable. If you're interested, check out Remarkable too. Uh, really enjoy that. That being said, uh, now I want to welcome this week's guest. Shout out to Adam Weber with CallCast. I listened to a show with today's guest about, I think it's a month ago, and I just called Adam and say, I got to have this guy on my show. And uh, I just connected with him. His name is Brian Stewart. And he's 
he's a cool guy. He's a teacher. He's a humanitarian. He loves sports. I think we, we love the same hockey team Sir. <laughs> as well. Anaheim Mighty Ducks. And he's also a recording artist, but, but much more than that, he, he has been, uh, he's searching for his meaning in his life. And he, I want to hear more about him because he is, he is adopted about 10 years ago. He realized that he, he might get something called Huntington's disease. And we're going to talk more about that as well. And, uh, you know, L Brian, like anybody else has things that define him and things that don't define him. And I want to focus this session on, you know, just speaking about the beautiful things that he has created in his life and his mindset. So without further ado, Welcome, Brian Stewart, to the I Love Success podcast. Thank you. Appreciate that, man. Hey, all the applause. Bro. All the applause. Yeah, yeah hey. come on, guys. <laughs> you know, Brian, thank you for being here, man. Thank you for having me, Peter. I appreciate that. Uh, shout out to everybody who's watching as well. Happy New Year. Is this your first time seeing me this year? So happy New Year. We're going to bounce back. Can we just talk about, you know, I, I want to go deep. I want to talk hot, heart to heart and... I'm just curious, like when when did you know you were adopted? And, and can you just talk about that moment and if it what type of experience that was for you? Yeah, so I say with every uh like with every story, there's always like a buildup and then sort of a climax in a way. Um, but whenever things happen for me, um the climax usually always explains a bit of the buildup. So I did in fact find out of like about 10 years ago literally weekend after Thanksgiving or week after Thanksgiving, uh, found out. And wow. So you were pretty, you were like 17 at that time. Yeah. 17. And we're talking like, if just wow. for some quick context, this is kind of November 17, think senior year high school POV. And it's a week before your college applications are due. Like you're trying to study SATs, ACTs. If you're an athlete, you're like trying to get things ready for, uh, for film, game tape, for schools and stuff like that. You're doing visits, you're trying to decide on places. And that happened like smack dab in the middle of that point. Also think it's high school. So you got love triangles going on. You got like friend groups just rotating out the wazoo. And then, yeah, that's just like encompassed all in that. So it was, yeah, interesting time. Wow. So how, how did you find out? And And I guess, I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there that, you know, we, we all struggle with identity. We don't know what's going on. And uh, I have a lot of friends, you know, that are adopted. And you, I, I want to know, like, uh, what, how, how was that experience? Like, how did you find out? And what happened when you did find out? I would say it was the one thing I wasn't expecting. Uh, I can vividly recall the days that it was happening. I was having a pretty bad meltdown, I would say, um, there was a lot of stuff I wasn't responding to very well. A lot of expectations I had for myself that I just wasn't meeting. And through a lot of that, there was a lot of like drug usage going on, even at like 17, you know, and to the point where like I was drinking in school every day. Like, like I was like, there are people who start drinking at 7 p.m. I started at 7 a.m. And then I would come to school and just like, I felt very defeated after a while with everything that was going on. Also, like not knowing what was going to really happen next or if I was really prepared for what was next, just because there was things I wasn't meeting or things that I wasn't necessarily proud of or not knowing like, hey, am I actually going to go to the places I want to go? Or like, 
Am I going to be stuck here in this place for a while or like forever? Or is this the best that things are going to get? Or maybe there are things that I should have did better, should have done better, or things that could have gone this way, could have gone that way. So a lot of that was t- a lot of eating me up inside. And specifically um, at the pinnacle of the meltdown, you know, you um, trigger warning for people out there. There was even like things like attempted suicide, stuff like that, running away. And on a particular day, uh, it was a Monday morning where I was like, nah, I'm not even going to go to school today. So, you know, in in a small town, uh, suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, in Euclid, I would just, I was just like, eh, I'm not going to school, but dang, I don't really know what to do because I can't really go back home. Things are in turmoil. All my friends are in school. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do homework. Uh, so I went to Burger King for a couple of hours and there was like some papers that were due, but I was just going to type them up, send them to my teacher, email, email them to her. And then like I ended up finishing and I'm like, oh, dang, I don't know what to do really. So it's about 10 o'clock maybe in the morning, 9, 45, 10 o'clock. So I decide, and I just took my laptop with me and then put it in my bag, walk to school. And then I get to school and they immediately call me to the principal's office. Like the moment I get in the building, they were like, oh, cool, we're waiting for you. Yeah, go to the principal. Um, and so it was just, uh, my principal had been notified by my parents about like, um, just, hey, there's some things that are uneasy right now. Hey, like if Brian comes in, immediately bring him to the office, make sure he's safe, make sure he's cool. And me not knowing that, like, I just literally left, went to Burger King, went to like Dunkin' Donuts, did my thing, skipped for a couple hours, came back. So then I get to school and I try to weasel my way out of the office and go back to class. It almost did work because uh, my principal's like, dang, I need to send this hall pass to this class. I'm like, oh, let me do that for you. I'll just knock, I'll knock that out. I'll take care of this. So I grabbed the hall pass and I'm like, cool, I'm going to go back. <laughs> and then as I did that, literally I give the hall pass and then the security guard pulls up around the corner. is like, okay, let's go back to the office. What? I'm like, how did she? Wow. All right. So then I, I get back to the office and then my parents get there. Um, and then they sat in the principal's office. Like I was outside, they were in there for like 30 minutes, like a calm 30 minutes. I'm just like, wow, it's taking a while. I hope I didn't do nothing to get expelled. I mean, I at that point, I was like, uh, in my head, I was like, eh, I don't care. But I'm like, dang, did I really mess up this bad? I'm like, I mean, I was, I still wanted to graduate, go to college and everything. So I'm like, oh, bruh. Yeah. I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, man, I'm just going to get to talk about um, not doing X, Y, and Z, um, just a disappointment and all this stuff. So then I get in the car with my parents. And the ride is completely silent. Uh, around this time, I was also a big fan of Drake. So I'm listening to this whole Take Care album. It's a really sad album, by the way, for anyone who hasn't listened before. But uh, there's a specific song called Cameras that I was listening to. Uh, it's one of the interlude tracks and the good ones go. And so we get home and literally uh, I sit down on the couch on this side of the room. My parents uh, are on the other side. My dad sits on the steps. My mom is standing. and she is holding this like blue notebook and and it's like sort of a binding like a blue binding on the outside looks like chart papers on the inside and it's it's again very quiet and i'm expecting a conversation telling me how i'm not trying hard enough how maybe i'm gonna get kicked out sent to a voice home all this stuff however that's not necessarily how the conversation went my mom just opened up 
took some like some time speaking and she basically was talking about there's something that we wanted to tell you we kind of didn't know really what the right time or place was and specifically with everything that was going on they were like we don't know if like you'll go to the grave without us being able to tell you and then I'm like okay like not really like really expecting something different but then they were like Brian like you're adopted. And then it was kind of like, there was like a knife to the stomach and then like a twist, not in a, not in a way that like, Oh man, you guys betrayed me, but Oh, like, Oh crap. Like that hit me in the gut. Like, Oh, this is the truth. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I, I did shed tears. Um, I think my mom, she definitely shed tears as she was trying to tell, just basically give more background. And it wasn't necessarily like, I understood the context of where she was coming from very well because um, growing up, my adopted mother, she was she didn't have the best immune system. She was really sick. She often um, did have to go in and out of the surgery ER room for um, different ailments and that nature. And at one time um, she did have a breast cancer scare too. So there was always some um, medical problems and issues. So I, I understood that as well. And even my older sister uh, who, who is uh, their biological daughter, she um, was a C-section baby. And even at that point, like the doctors said, hey, like if you try to have another child, naturally it may not work too well for you. Uh, and so in that situation, my parents did like seek out like ways and parameters for adopting as she told me. And, you know, she had other, she also has other friends who have adopted children before, whether it's one or two. So there wasn't a very cool, I would say, and unique network that they did have of like close friends who did like adopt other children. So they um, sought out all that advice, consultation. And yeah, uh, four years after my sister was born, actually five years, they adopted me. And so um, they talked through that, but also her, um, my mom's husband, my father is also adopted as well. So um, she would always like harp on. That's why I always wanted you to speak to him, talk to him about certain things, not knowing that like, oh, this is what she actually yeah. wants you kind of relate towards. But it was like, no, that's why I want you to talk to him. That's why we want you to like try and have a better and closer relationship just for that reason. And so like sort of like as that was going on, she, you know, we all are breaking down and sort of having our moments coming together. Uh, and just talking, of course, she like hands me the notebook, lets me kind of read through it. But yeah, that's that's kind of, that's definitely the more extended version of how I found out. Wow. Uh, so, so Brian, what happens? You know, the day after this, it it, it it sounded like you were not in a good space in your life at that point. You were not living exactly like you wanted, and then then you get this too. Um, like what what happened day after like what what did you feel in your heart and, and how did you uh what changed in your life uh, there was ooh, it was um a lot of things and also there was some stuff i just kind of couldn't control how quickly it was going to happen so i don't know if you know this peter but uh here when you are or people do know or are notified that you are suicidal they you do get sent to, you know, um, a behavioral health hospital, mental psych hospital for at least a week. And so I was sent there literally on the day that it happened. And so the next day I'm in like, you know, some counseling sessions. I'm in the um, teenage adolescent wing, but uh, 
and I was probably the oldest one in the room and everyone else was kind of in high school. I remember seeing like a couple of people that were actually like very familiar that we went to school with. And so like literally the next day I had to retell everything that happened that previous 24 hours. Like no, no, like I didn't, I wasn't taking any medicine or anything. Like I did smoke a lot of weed and drink at the time, but this was completely sober. And so um, this, yeah, so I had to completely just retell that story to the group. It was like, oh, hey, we have someone new here today. Uh, it's Brian. Brian, tell us like, you, I mean, I had to about what happened. And so kind of with, I had a very blank sort of conscious at the time because I would say that, yes, I was sad at everything that was happening, but there was just so much that I kind of just went blank for a second. And I was even just trying to take in everything and everyone that was around me. And so when it came to my own, just like personal story, I just kind of like told it. And then just was like, yeah, yeah. And then coupled with the fact that because I'm in a room with other people who are, you know, suffering from traumas and also need to uh, get um, therapeutic um, therapeutic resources as well. I'm hearing all these other stories and things are going on around the room. And it's like, oh man, we all just like, for different reasons, one or another, now we're in this space. And it's like, oh, okay. Okay. And how, like coming from that space and, and looking at you now a decade later, where you seem to be in, in an amazing space that you're, you're creating, you're helping, you're, you're sharing. Can you just talk a little bit about the first year there? Because there's, there's a lot of people right now struggling, especially I, I think sometimes we as big dreamers sometimes struggle a little bit too much because we are so, we're so hard on ourselves. You know, we, we expect, nothing more than excellence and and our inner conversations sometimes are you know so bad that like the words spoken to ourselves should never been said you know we would never even think of saying it to somebody else so how how do you like how did you start to find joy and and you know starting to get back to to life again yeah, so I'm um, a couple of things. One, I was doing a lot of like writing a poetry at the time, as you probably heard on uh, David's podcast um, or Adam's podcast, I'm sorry. And I was just, uh, I was actually developing my first book as I was just like going through everything. Uh, I would also say that because I heard that news, it was also pretty apparent to me that now every relationship I've ever made in this world was very organic, you know, and even to the point where if I'm close to someone, I built that, like, we built that closeness, but like, it's been very arbitrary. I'm not bound by like blood or by a title to anyone. So I really started to just sort of listen to more people's stories. Um, From that hospital visit on, I, like, whenever I would just meet people, it would kind of just be like a breath of fresh air for them, or maybe we were getting some stuff off of our chests because people kind of knew I was going through some things, but like whenever they would speak to me, it was just like, yeah, I really need to talk about this or like, yeah, these things are going on or like, yeah, they're um, reminiscing about like times that they've enjoyed that they're not necessarily experiencing anymore. So there was a lot of like comfort in just opening up and having other people just open up to me or who I was with around the time. 
and people that maybe I wasn't necessarily like speaking to on a daily basis and stuff like that. And that, and that helped out a lot. Also, I did end up graduating, going to college. So getting a change of scenery was really big. That was the one thing that I would say helped the most. Um, as I was still, for that first year, for much of that first year, I was like at home, but I didn't really want to be there. Um, I know you see Cleveland, Ohio in the background, my hometown, I loved it. But uh, when I was younger, I was hell bent on like leaving home and never coming back. I, I did have that frame of mind as a child. So like just that last year of being home was like, I really don't want to be here, but it feels like I'm stuck. And with all the things that were happening with all the letdowns, disappointments with um, the drinking and the hospital visits. Now I was also in the hospital past like the week that college applications were due. So I was like, I'm really stuck here. And like, I will literally just like do anything besides be here, you know, and even being here is feeling like it's killing me, bringing me down, making me a worse person. So uh, I ended up getting accepted into a college out here in New York City called the King's College. Uh, they were really generous as far as scholarship money. Um, also, you know, met the requirements criteria. They were trying to um, grow their student population at the time. So I was like, oh, okay, this is cool. Uh, they also had a an arts program that they were getting off the ground. And I was like, oh, I'd like to be a part of that. It's cool. Seems like a lot of opportunity there. So um, I took that opportunity as well as uh, I did a screenwriting program for a nonprofit out here in New York as well, too. So I got to come out here uh, for a summer. And that was one of my first times in New York City. And and back, and a lot of people didn't notice, but I was like in Cleveland, I got kicked out of my house at the time. Uh, I, I was homeless, whether sleeping on a beach, a park bench, a friend's basement or in a shelter, like we were rotating, but for like four days, I got to just, you know, finally have my own bed and my own privacy, like coming out here for a conference in New York. And it was like, it was so peaceful. And at the same time, I was able to meet because Cleveland is a very more like a, I would say narrow-minded, not too open, open-minded, yeah. very like segregated as well, racially um, and gender-wise stuff like that. So I come to a place like New York, and I'm hearing a lot of different conversations that I wouldn't necessarily hear at home. I'm hearing a lot of talking and confronting things like um, like our what our identities are tied into as far as like the people we want around us or like what are sort of open conversations we should be having or how are we sort of like marginalizing or putting people in a certain box and stuff like that. I'm like, wait, me being a little kid from Cleveland, Ohio, I didn't think I was like, I didn't think I was ready to be in a space like that, but little did I know, like actually talking about some of those experiences I had and maybe like other stories I was hearing and things that I like would, here across the year, like actually helped out in those spaces. And then um, on top of that, the people who I was men mentored by, when they found out, oh, you're coming to college here in like a month? Hey bro, just let us know, we, like, we're gonna help you out. You know, We'll like make sure you know the ropes around the city. If we got like some opportunities, we'll like keep you in touch as well, keep you in a loop. Also, like I, I told them too, my school had a dress code that was on the side of business casual. We were by Wall Street and Empire State Building sometimes. So it would just be easier to make connections, you know, if you were dressed less like a college student. And so they had that. And then so I would like um, let the director of the org know like, hey, my school, they have like this business casual dress code. And she was like, okay, that's cool. No, no problem. Hey, I have an uncle who owns like a thrift store boutique. So like, 
and you're kind of like the same size as him. So I can definitely like run over to his shop and get some stuff for you. Like we'll just meet up in the city and, and get that going. And so I had a lot of help from uh, this organization. It's called, it's called Scenarios USA, formerly known as Scenarios. They've since disbanded, but uh, I would say like Rob York, Moriminsky, like David, David Beasley um, working there at the time were really, really instrumental. Gloria as well too was really instrumental in just like facilitating like my transition out here to New York, but little did they know that they were just kind of also helping me pick up the pieces a little bit. Like they didn't know, like not a lot of people knew that, hey, he was actually like getting himself together. This was a new opportunity. And like, they helped me kind of make the most of that new opportunity. Whereas if it really wasn't for them out here, I would have been behind on a lot of stuff using trains and also getting like, uh, they kind of employed me for the first time too as well. And so that worked out as well. And then excuse me, yeah, just making connections through different events. If it wasn't for like school stuff, it was like with them, staying connected on the film side as well too. So uh, definitely the biggest part was at the end of that first year of moving out to New York, it did feel like a weight got lifted off of me. Um, also Cleveland, Ohio can be a very like dangerous place where there are a lot of good souls and a lot of great potential that falls victim to like the darkness that is that is in Cleveland, Ohio and some of the like petty stuff that's here. So being able to like get out of that was like really, really huge for me. So yeah, just the big thing was just moving, relocating or like whatever you have to do to rehabilitate yourself. A lot of times that also means like putting yourself in a new place so you don't fall victim to old things or so like you don't get caught in a constant cycle. Thank you for sharing that, man. I mean, when you when you talk about all these things, I get so so happy, you know, because there's there's kindness everywhere, and sometimes we live in our own little bubble. It could be your own home for people that have a home where people are, you know, upset with you that they are, you know, abusing you in different ways, or it could be at work or with friends. Like a lot of people are are, are bullied. Nobody believes in them, and you start not believing in yourself and then you come to a new place and people are like treating you well and and want want to help you and all the things that other people used to you know bring you down with it's now a strength and something beautiful yeah. so i just want to say that to people out there like don't buy into to to the negativity of of people around you if if you are around those kind of people it's not that easy if it's in your own home to just get rid of it, but, you know, make a plan to, to go to more positive territories, you know, whatever that means, it could be online, it could be, you know, moving or, or, or just change a job or, or whatever it might be. But there are, there are people that believe in you. There are people that can see your strength. And sometimes when you're down on your luck, you, the only thing you need is somebody that reaches out their hand to you. Right. Yeah, especially um, especially when you're starting over from scratch in a lot of those situations, it's like you kind of do need some extra help. And so it's whenever somebody does reach out or is resourceful, it, it's even more of like gracious. And because we have the desire to want to do better or we do have certain plans, it's just all we need is just a small little like favor from someone or all we need is just like one or two resources to really just get ourselves going. Yeah. And also if you're listening to this and no matter where you are in your life, make sure to help somebody, you know, 
and to connect with other people and, and give what you have. You don't have to be, uh, you know, at the top of your game in order to help somebody with your time or money or, or something, just a nice gesture. Like life is about relationships. And, and if, if you're only doing things for yourself, what is life worth? So if you're listening to this and you are like on a good track, reach out, you know, help somebody. It, 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 it could mean so much for somebody, right? Yeah. And further along to, uh, to that um, story before, uh, one of the, the producer at uh, Scenarios USA, I told him about like my writing and stuff like that. And that I've been like producing a manuscript of poetry. He's like, oh, okay, that's cool. So he had a couple people from the conference, he actually invited us to a workshop with the Writers Guild out here in New York on the Writers Guild East. And we, uh, a few of us workshops, some films, scripts, um, some treatments. Uh, there was one person who uh, had like some fan, fan fiction they wanted to uh, workshop. And myself, I had like my poetry manuscript. And from there, actually, while I was workshopping it around the room, there were people who um, just like float around some ideas and they were like, hey, have you ever actually thought about, you know, I know you're thinking about publishing, but actually if you want, because a lot of publishing companies, you know, take more off the top, if you want to keep a lot of your own work and keep it in house, like you should consider like self-publishing as well too. Mm -hmm. And consider like the Kindle space. And this was back in like 2012, 2011, when we were really first starting to get on that wave a little bit. And so I, uh, at that time, I had looked up a lot of like just self-publishers, self-publishing companies. And so I, that's how I was able to just like edit my manuscript, take it there. And of course paid for like uh, additive services that let me like get it shipped out to Barnes and Noble, you know, or let, let it to get uh, outsourced into those bigger bookstores or bigger online stores too as well. So um, at that time that was huge. and like really huge. And it was just, you were 19 at that time, right? Uh, eight, yeah. 18, 19 years old, getting that done. And even that, awesome. yeah, even then it was just like at that age, it's just like, Oh yeah, that sounds cool. Why not? Oh yeah. That sounds cool. Like not, not really even knowing like, Oh, the, the, like the magnitude of what you're doing, you know, even to the point where like the plans that I thought I had weren't like as, as like big as what we were actually going to experience. And so I even had to just like kind of recalibrate, but also like settle myself down in the moment to like make sure like, okay, let's, let's not blow this opportunity. Let's like make sure we make the best of it. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk uh, more about uh, positivity and love and, and success in a little bit. First, I just want to address two things that I think the listeners really want to hear. It's, first off, you mentioned you were homeless can you just talk about how, how did that happen? And uh, like, what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, so how it happened is, a, I mean, eventually, uh, I would say there was a big falling out between um, myself and my parents at home. And it wasn't, it's, and it wasn't a thing of like, oh, like, this person did this, this person did that. It was just like, there's two conflicting philosophies and there's me who like actually wants to kind of go out into the world, venture out, do my own thing. And then parents who are more so like, yeah, you've been going through a lot of stuff and we're a little bit afraid, but at the same time, we feel like we can't really stop you. And so that just led to at a certain point, we just like said, fine, you do what you do. Good luck getting to New York, as uh, my father told me. And at the time, my, most of like my friends are, 
18 years old or younger. So they don't really have like, can provide, you know, like, hey, bro, yeah, come stay with me for like a few weeks or something or a few days. I did have a couple friends who let me like spend the night and spent a couple nights. Uh, also a friend who, who did let me come over in the daytime, you know, just to kick it throughout the day, even though I couldn't stay at night. And so what led me to like, pretty much if you don't have a home to go to, or you don't have your own home, you are homeless, you know, even if you're couch surfing, even if you're like just kicking it on someone's porch, even if they share their bed, you are homeless. And then those nights I didn't have a place to go. It was, I was either sleeping on the beach, you know, sleeping on that park bench, uh, sleeping in those homeless shelters. But what happened was also even getting out of sort of just the kind of top, like there was a toxicness building up back home, just having that kind of away from me, just took a little bit off my shoulders, like constantly having people tell you a lot of negative things or put you down or don't try to like encourage you, you know, or don't feed you positivity. It's like, when all that's gone, it's like, I'm a little bit more calm now. And also what helped too is uh, the times I would stay in a homeless shelter, they had a very like strict regimen as far as like, hey, if you want to get a bed here, bro, you got to be about, be here by 6 p.m. You know, if you if you're going to be here, you need to be sober while you're here. Uh, we will feed you while you're here. So there are certain things I didn't really have to like think about sometimes where it's like, oh, dang, where where am I going to eat today? It's like, oh, yeah, you're good. Was that scary? Yeah, because for certain days it was like, yeah, I would collect some change, you know, yeah, maybe you find like 25 cents on the ground, maybe you get like a fudge brownie. But other times it's like, I, I didn't have a working phone, right? Um, I had a wallet on me, but you know, after a while, $3.77 only lasts you so long. And so when you have to like, I was also walking everywhere too. Because of all the things that happened, there were a couple of times where I had even been like arrested and stuff and I had to find ways. And it was just also, I had to do everything on my own as well too. But when you can't even find your own home, trying to get to a counseling session or community service is like, like very much, uh, is very much like can be overwhelming, can be a bit taxing. And so what also happened because of that is, uh, is eventually, you know, I had to go to court for like those charges and stuff, but everything kind of got nixed away. And also I just got a lot more peace of mind from certain things where it was like, yeah, I could get to this therapy session, but like there's a certain time where the therapist is like, Hey man, if you, if you can't get out here, like I, I actually understand if today you just didn't come to this session after telling me what you told me, I understand. So sometimes there was a little bit more like from some people, there was actually that just small courteousness of like, Hey, I understand you're going through some things. Um, I'm going to like dial back a bit or I'm going to be a little bit more sensitive. Uh, I had a friend's parents who like, they were like, no, you can't spend the night here, but I understand. So you're not out in the street doing nothing crazy. You can come over here in the daytime. You're a friend of the family. Um, the kids love you, respect you, or like her kids, you know, loved and respected me enough. Like I didn't put him through anything, put him in any harm or anything. So she's like, yeah, definitely come over and do your thing. So you also like, I would say during that time, I, I learned that I could kind of be a little bit independent, depend on myself, but also like um, always trying to have, always trying to make sure you at least like meet certain needs throughout the day too, as well. Um, even if everything is like kind of crashing and burning at a certain point, you're going to hit like a rock bottom, but then at that rock bottom, 
what you have to kind of do for yourself, just like to just slowly pick yourself back up becomes like very small too. And then once you knock those things out, you get a little bit of like calmness as well. And, and sometimes the disconnect from the world or the disconnect from a lot of other things is kind of okay too. So the fact that I didn't have a phone um, also meant like I wasn't on like social media all day arguing and bickering with people or trying to call people up all the time. It was just like, I kind of just have to let some things happen, you know? Um, also I had, just cause you know, when you're homeless, it's just you throughout the day. I had more time to work on like my manuscript for, for the book I was creating. And, and a lot of times in those like rock bottom situations that like one project you have or that one like ability or talent always will stick with you or be there, you know? And, and that was it for me where a lot of times I had so much time to just work on this book, so much time to just actually write some stuff out, ponder some stuff out, put some things in order. And so much time to actually think about what I wanna do with like these visions or like, also um, I had a therapist at the time who was a really, really, really um, supportive person who as well was like, listen, I know this stuff happened to you, but I'm gonna make sure that you are able to follow through in your commitment to go to New York City and to go to school. So I'm gonna just try and help you out with that sort of planning there as well too. And so she was um, really instrumental on making sure that like, I didn't just fall off a cliff um, that whole time or that whole time that um, things were kind of spiraling downhill. She was like my therapist through and through. She had to witness all of that. She had to be there for a lot of that. She had to go visit me in the hospital, you know, when um, there were times of like relapses and stuff. And she had to be the one who would go to court as well too and sit in the courtroom too. And, and oftentimes pick me up from like a community service or another counseling session. So she said like, you, you've been going through a lot and whatever we can do to get you just out to get that fresh start, that's fine. And so um, also I learned that I can make it through rock bottom and also to anybody else that's listening to when you, cause this, Cause that was probably the first of a couple of like rock bottom moments, quote unquote, that I feel like I would have in my life. And so just being able to make it through is one thing. And even just day by day, making it through is, and not also knowing that I built up really healthy habits. So growing up, I was an athlete. And so while I was just out throughout the day, I was always making sure, you know what, I'm gonna stay fit doing push-ups throughout the day, whether it was just like, in a bathroom somewhere on a park bench or like right beside a bench. I was always like doing some push-ups or some sit-ups somewhere. Uh, when I was, it's funny enough at the home, at the homeless shelter, there's guys like, I'm gonna tell you one thing about this dude, man. He makes sure he get it in every night. I see you, bro. You doing, you doing the push-ups every night. And then all of a sudden you just see a couple more heads, you know, uh, the few, like few, few nights go on, you see a couple more heads, you know, on the ground doing some sit-ups making sure they get their stretches in, maybe doing a little, a little sparring on the side, something like that. So like, um, I also noticed that sort of effect too. Like a lot of times that, um, it's that also I can fit into it in a lot of different environments. There was, uh, when I was in the homeless shelter specifically, I was 18. Everyone else in there was probably over the age of 35. Um, and a lot of other people there had like criminal records, right? Or had just got out. And so this is sort of like maybe like a halfway house for them, halfway home. There are guys who were my father's age in there, you know? And so you, I also saw that perspective of just what 
it looks like to be an older man kind of going through these same things as well too. And so seeing like their perspectives was very perplexing because also I would look around the room and I'd be like, dang, we're one maybe bad turn from like, or you guys are like one, one move from being in here. There were a lot of guys who were in that shelter because they got in an argument with their wives and had nowhere else to go, you know, uh, or, something had happened maybe with um, drugs or some another family member. And so they had to be there, you know, instead of like sleeping in their own home or sleeping in their own bed or like being able to go to their own job. So there was a lot of people who's, and there was one guy who was a psychiatrist and all of a sudden he got laid off from his job, fell into like really bad depressions and just like ended up there as well. And not, and I'm like, wow, this is like, there's a lot of like, sometimes you, I don't mean this in a negative way either. Sometimes you really can't like stop the tidal wave of some things happening. Like sometimes like as much as we try to maybe make things better or as maybe we try to fight through some adversity, a lot of times like things just start getting stripped from us. And maybe there are things that like, it's not that it's not necessarily like things that you care about, but maybe there is like, a renewal process happening, a transition happening. And, and when that happens, there is like a lot of loss. There is like a lot of blood shed and purge. When you have surgery, there, you bleed a lot. You know, it. there is a recovery process that has to happen because there was a lot of damage that happened that had to be repaired. And so it isn't necessarily a pretty thing, but at the same time, there's a lot of people who go through it too as well. And and being able to also understand those situations as well too is very, very key because a lot of times they also need you as well, or you might be in the same room with them, or you might be like sitting at next to them at a table and they might need to get something off their chest, right? Or they might need a, like a shoulder to kind of prop up just as you do, you know? And in those moments, there's a lot of people who are hitting rock bottom, but the least we can do is like reach our hand off be kind, like dust someone off as they do that. And so there was also a lot of that happening in that shelter as well too, excuse me. And um, also, you know, shout out to all the churches and old ladies that would come down and volunteer to to make food and, and meals. Sometimes, you know, they give out seconds and thirds and things like that. Uh, and also there was a, a program too at this specific homeless shelter that had like a sort of a rehabilitation into the workforce kind of program where it would be a, a long-term a long stay for a lot of guys. It would be, I think like a six month program, three to six months. And then the goal would also be to get out, also come out with like uh, train, like job training certain for certain positions. And so you didn't have to go back into that shelter as well too. So there are a lot of guys who took that on as well while I was there. And so even seeing what that process looks like was, was also like, wow, wow. And I, and I also, it helped take a lot of pressure off me because I'm like, you know, you're going through this at 18, but like, imagine if you're 45 with like children, a home, and like, you're sort of a leader of your family, supposedly, things could look a lot different, you know, or, you know, there were also people in there who were, if you lived in a city before, you, you know, you've run into homeless people before, so you... So I like you, I ran into people who, you know, were sometimes things weren't necessarily all the way coherent or right, but like you kind of understand why that is or like what maybe some things happened or transpired in the past that like 
led to those situations, you know, or led to that like type of mindset. So I, I would develop a really, really, really big like understanding of people. And, and so even whenever people come to me about things they're struggling with, or nowadays, like things that people struggle with, or things that maybe they find disappointment in, or they feel like they're falling off a cliff, I kind of understand that a lot better. You know, like just being in that type of situation in that environment under those like duresses, I kind of just learn what it might look like, or also like how to sort of be supportive of someone and other people who like are going through a really tough time and a really rough patch. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I, I think it's so important to, you know, that we show love and, and, and smile to people that we see and, and show understanding. It, it's, uh, we're, we're all one. And, you know, if, if you're hurting, I'm hurting in a way too. So I think we have to get away from that kind of concept. It's, it's just me and, and, and try to, you know, help as much as we can. I want to ask you about, uh, for people who don't know you, can you also talk about Huntington's disease and, and what that is and, and, and how, how that will play out in your life? Um, so Huntington's disease is a genetic disease. It eats away more of the nervous system. So once you get into maybe your like late 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, you start to kind of lose some of those basic cognitive functions. Um, think of it just like all your muscle memory that you kind of built up is going to slowly start to fade away. And even sort of the signals that allow you to do that are just kind of going to fade away. Um, to the point where you just kind of age really rapidly, not like on a physical level, not your hair, not like mentally, but just your ability to just do things and do basic functions and be a productive worker, you know, excuse me, or just being able to do things like run and jog, like all that is going to like go away, but in a very like fast, in a very fast process after the age of 40, if um, you do have the disease. No, no matter what. So you don't know if you have it or not. Um, no matter what, I always carry the genes. So if I, okay. I don't know if I have it or not, but I always, um, if I ever, if I don't have it and I have ch children, like they're going to have it. Uh, Cause it's one and two, as far as um, if the gene actually develops into the disease itself. And so, because I'm also adopted, like I don't know if my mother before me had it. I do know there was like an aunt or like an aunt of hers who had it. So I don't know if it skipped her or skipped my like biological mother and came to me or she unfortunately has had to deal with that issue. So like there's just, there's a lot of uncertainty there. And because I'm a person who's in like good health otherwise, that might like that. And I always say like a freak accident and Huntington's disease might be the only two things that stop me from seeing like 90 years old. And so uh, I've always had to look up some of the symptoms and stuff just to make sure. And there is like, you know, signs of early Huntington's disease within people or like certain types of habits that people have. Um, so one of them is kind of like a nervous, like tick of where you kind of like tap your foot uncontrollably. And so um, I would used to have to have, used to do that a lot as a kid, or I had like certain OCD type of tendencies or I would always like kind of like rub my nose or like tap my foot or like bite my nails a bit or like poke on the ear. So those, like those, those little things that happen. And so um, by the end of this decade, which I'll be 
35, 36, I actually will know uh, definitively by the end of the decade because it, it shows up more in the 30s. So how do you approach life, you know, when you when there's such a huge unknown, like what's your mindset like and how, how's your day to day because of this? Um, so I would say uh, I very much adopted a personality of we're going to have as much thrill and enjoyment as possible because one of the reasons why I was sort of going through a lot of turmoil at, you know, 17, 18 at the turn of uh, going to college was actually a, there was a lot of regret I was experiencing where it was like, I was regretting doing X, Y, and Z. I regretted that these sorts of things didn't happen to me or that I didn't have certain experiences, friends or certain families. So I thought about it to myself and I said, okay, if this is it, if this is, if you call the quits here, I think some of you have seen the movie Soul recently uh, kind of touches on the subject. Like imagine if uh, this was it, would you be happy with what's happened? Would you be happy with what you've experienced? Are you okay with like leaving everything behind with this? And I was like, no, not at all. And so I, want, I wanted to make sure that no matter when that day comes, whether it is soon, whether it's far in the future, whether it is at the end of this century, you know, when a time comes for me to like lay this body at rest, Am I going to be satisfied and happy with everything that I've done and everything that I've experienced? And I wanted to make sure I do everything in my, everything possible to make sure that answer is yes. Right. And so anything I want to experience, any like dreams I want to go after, I'm going to make sure I do it, you know? And even if it's just to say, Hey, we did it. That's fine with me because when I become older, I can say, well, you know, and there's nothing I really had on my list of like, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of cool now, you know, or that's why people have like bucket lists, but you could live your entire life knocking out that bucket list. Right. Or, and also at the same time, um, starting and manifesting certain dreams, because I've also realized too, like, um, for a lot of creatives who are listening to that a lot of times, a lot of artists and musicians, their stuff doesn't get notorious or famous or like, impactful until after they leave you know but they still had the they still were able to like explore their talents here in this earth and still able to like make the groundwork for a vision that they did have so at least i tried to make that happen as well that's that was one of the big things behind the book that i created and behind the music that i've done was just like hey listen you're not trying to get famous you're not trying to like you know become like this uh, pop star you're not trying to become like this um idle figure, but you want to make an impact and you want to have like significant work. And no matter if the numbers hit big, like in the future, or like you catch lightning in a bottle, it may happen after you leave here. You never know. So like, but just the process and the fact that you did it and the fact that you try to execute your plan, that's, that's enough. Okay. So like that is enough and it's better to just like try and do it or like do something and don't even think about failures because a lot, I was having to tell my girlfriend this, there's like no such thing as a, a failure in a way, because did you do everything and like nothing happened? No. Like if you created something, if like you made initial steps on something, just because you didn't reach the end game doesn't make you failure. Just because you didn't check off 15 out of 15 boxes 
doesn't make you a failure. You probably checked off five boxes and then another 10 boxes that you didn't even write down just because of the fact that like, oh, you did actually try to manifest this. You did actually try to make things happen. You did have certain dreams and visions and you went ahead and did it, you know? And so it's like, and so it's like looking at that from a bigger angle, looking at what you did do, what you didn't do. So I wanted to make sure that that stuck with me big time and that, yeah, even things as small as like, oh, I'm going to go skydive 25th birthday. Right. Or it's like, oh, I'm going to go try and like travel the world and stuff like that and see live in different parts of the world. So I made sure like 22 years old, like I packed up, went to Honduras for a year, you know, um, and at some point, you know, when travel restrictions are lifted, I do want to like go try and live somewhere else again in another part of the world, whether it's like in Asia or Africa. Um, I like, I'm really intrigued by that. And also like, I'm trying to do it again, you know, because uh, also most times, the one thing that being homeless taught me was like, eh, you, you could kind of survive out here, bro. <laughs> um, it doesn't matter what kind of like, what Fortnite bus you drop off of, or like what Call of Duty plane, you can land somewhere and like make you make do with like even very small, like something very small, or you can be handled like things that are very big. And so even like doing something like moving to a third world country, it isn't something that startled me or scared me a bit. And even like having like this, this Corona situation was tough, but I'm like, at one point I was like, you know, this ain't the first time I've been broke. Like this ain't the first time like we've been pinching pennies. Like, um, and the last time I like didn't have a job was literally when I was like homeless, when I was um, going through that transition. And so this was like, and so a lot of that stuff also prepped me for these things where it was like, oh yeah, there's gonna be some struggles, but there's other stuff you went through that also like prepared you for this and that built you for this like moment. And so it's okay to like, go in and do an opportunity, even if you don't feel like you're the most prepared for it. Like you can learn along the way, you can make the necessary mistakes, but like quickly learn from those and quickly like figure out what to do right, you know? And so I, I live yeah. by that code. No, I love that. And I think, you know, sometimes we all live like we are going to be here on this planet forever. You know, we keep you know, postponing things. We, we keep letting fear creep into our mind and we keep letting other people's opinions from trying stop us. And then we meet people like you, Brian, that, that like has, has gone beyond that because you have no other choice. And I think we can learn so much. I'm curious, do you ever procrastinate? Do you ever have fear? And how do you deal with that? Yeah, um, all the time. Unfortunately, because of... Uh, You're not perfect either. Huh? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Um, I would even say a lot of times that um, there are fears that maybe I don't necessarily address or as like most men do, we kind of just ignore it, act like we don't see it, act like it, it isn't important. So it, is, it isn't privy to us. But um, the thing about that is even with procrastination, I always give myself a rule where it's like, you know, we're not going to wait till the last, last minute, but like the last minute is cool. Or like, <laughs> or the last two minutes are cool, you know, or like, or like, if it's like, eh, I got to knock this out in a week. It's okay if we wait till the like two days before instead of a day. Cause I, I give myself yeah. that, that level of, uh, that level of, um, 
caution because I often just generally make small mistakes, tiny mistakes that I often have to clean up and make up for. So when it comes to things like procrastination and fear, there's a lot that I can't be afraid of because I know in my heart of hearts, I've been through enough where like I put myself out there in a way that's going to make like where my errors are going to be magnified. You know, I'm the person who steps up and volunteers for things. I'm the person who like puts himself on a pedestal. So when it's kind of like I make a mistake, everyone's kind of going to know, or like, it's going to be very apparent to myself and I'm going to have to go back and fix that and correct that. So I always have to give myself a little bit of time just to make sure like, you know, you're going to mess up, but like, you're going to have to fix this real quick and then like turn it back on or do something with that. And so a lot of times what I try and do to make sure I don't wait till the last, last minute is just like say, all right, we're going to, we're going to do this by this moment right here. And I always have to write these things down too, because as you said, put pen to paper, because if I don't, it'll completely escape my memory. It'll escape my mind. There are so many uh, ideas or things that maybe I've journaled or maybe I've written down and then, or maybe I was like, yeah, that was a good idea. And then I like table it or like it goes in a place that's not very visible. So that's also another thing, making sure those um, things we need to accomplish are visible to us too. Like, um, cause I, it's like I said, it's one thing for me to write them down, but I will write it down and then make sure it's never like sees the light of day again. Or like, because I'm always so like focused on 20 different things, there's just stuff that always escapes my mind. And so I always have to make sure that like, uh, I do take things one step at a time and like knock out one assignment at a time, knock out like one task at a time, one responsibility at a time, because there's so much going on that it's like, I can't help it, but, but to just do one, 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 boom. Or I'll have to do like a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, and then just like create a cycle where just like I'm doing everything in a certain order. So I definitely have to establish some type of rhythm for myself too. Um, I think that's really big as well is just figuring out what you need to do, have to do, and like how well you can get it done and like what puts you in a nice little comfort zone, you know? Um, Even for music for myself, a lot of times it's like right after, like I, there's a lot of people who can record and do work right after they write it. Me, I do have to like rehearse a bit. Uh, I did grow up um, playing the clarinet, being in concert bands. So it's like just going, like writing it down and boom, cool, we're gonna go to the mic. I can't really do that that well versus like, let me try and figure out what's the right cadence. All right, let me see what's the right notes, right flows. Okay, cool. And then let's record it, see how we sound. Do we even like the way we sound? Do we feel like we need more dynamic? And then it's like, cool. And then it's like, now let's actually get into this. So there's always like a process that everyone has and needs and a comfort zone. And it's really trying to figure out what that is for you. Because uh, often, also another thing that helps is um, I work for a company, an educational skills company that helps students out with this as well. Even on an educational level, you can get philosophically deep with this, but like, you know, on an educational level, we we talk about some of this stuff too. And I, and I apply a lot of that. So even just like breaking the work down, um, making sure what we have is always visible. So uh, everything that I, I kind of need or want to accomplish, I actually have it written down on a sheet of notebook paper and it's sitting on the, like, I have it on, what you call it? Thumbtacked onto the wall, thumbtacked onto the window frame. So right next to my window, you just see a bunch of like different things I need to knock out and stuff I need to get done, plans I need to make. And 
little by little it actually is happening and actually is progressing even on things like saving money. Like yeah. I remember when I started, you know, make a little bit more, I was like, Hey, if you want to just save 50 bucks a month. And even if it, even if it was like, we get it done at the last minute, somehow you still got that 50 bucks a month. And it's one, and it's getting that stuff done too, which is like the beauty of it. Even the small things count, right? Everything counts. Yeah, it's the accumulation of all these small tasks. That's when you see the people that have excelled in their life. It's it's all an accumulation of many, many, many small steps. Uh, I only have two more questions for you, uh, Bran. Uh, we're running out of time. I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, one thing that I, I really want to ask you is, do you want to become a father? And how's your process when it's so risky for you? Like, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, I... That's also why I took the route of um, educating too, or going into education uh, as well as because I, because of certain habits that I have, I don't want to approach fatherhood. It's, it's the Huntington's disease. Cause if I have it, you know, at a certain point, either a child is taking care of me or whoever, like I spend my life with, or whoever is the mother, that child she might have to take on too much responsibility or for both. So I'm like, I'm mindful of that. However, also because I have a very type of adventurous spirit, you know, um, and one that is not always easily settled and like bouncing around all the time from place to place and has a lot of things that I want to get done. Oftentimes I didn't think that was a good environment for a child and for a kid, you know? Um, yeah. And so like, I, and so for me personally, I was just like, I would rather not have children, but I do enjoy the company of kids. You know, um, a lot of students think like I'm the cool teacher in school. You know, I'm the cool teacher, the cool guy who comes in uh, if I'm in the room with you. And also like if other students or other kids in a, in a room or school or a building see me, like they often gravitate towards me very much. And so like, I don't hate children at all. It's just uh, for me personally, I don't think I'm fit or have the right lifestyle and life to like raise one, you know, or raise a couple. So I just do my part as far as um, helping other people, you know, kind of make sure they're raising their kids are straight. And so um, I'm better with that and being a better influence that way. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, really appreciate that. These are, these are deep questions. And the reason why I ask them is just because uh, you you have so much experiences and knowledge and I know that you know we we can learn and my audience can learn a lot from you uh, one final question I'm all about the people here going after their dreams achieving their dreams so what's the one thing they can do right after this show to get a little bit closer to their dream um one thing they can do is just the next thing that was on their list to accomplish figure out how to accomplish it or like those mistakes or those walls that they think they're hitting. Um, there's a lot of us who might be hitting some brick walls or who aren't getting much traction or who might have like a business that they don't think is getting a lot of sales. Well, it's like, what can we do differently? Um, also, I want people to approach those negative, those negative thoughts or those like sort of negative feedback approach that a little bit differently. Sometimes it's not like that we can't do something we don't do something or we're not good at something, but it's like, 
how can we do better at this? Or like, what does this actually mean? Or what are these numbers actually saying about my effort? You know, or like, what is, what is like these comments actually getting at, you know, maybe I want a deeper interaction with people. So like, how can I actually get that done? You know? And so actually take a deeper look and deeper dive at like feedback that you get um, at the numbers that you see on your, on your own data and stuff like that in your research. Or if you notice that maybe like things, what's in your head isn't as good as, or what's on paper or what you're putting out isn't as good as what's in your head. Well, why is there that disconnect there? It's not that, oh, you can't, or, oh, dang, like this is crazy. It's like, no, like there's actually some other questions we're not really addressing. There's also some other stuff we're not really like telling ourselves, you know? And so we just need to be able to do that and come come at it with a different lens. Uh, I highly recommend also if you guys want me <laughs> to be that person to ask you those questions because I, I very much like doing that. Uh, I do that for my girlfriend a lot where she um, she's a writer and author. And so a lot of times when it comes to just getting a lot of traffic and getting um, engagement with readers, there is like times where it's great and then times where it's not so great and there's a struggle. But instead of like beating ourselves up or instead of being like, crap, this is too hard, or like, screw this, or we need to go back to the drawing board, or we need to just like take a break. As we do those things, we actually need to be reframing like, actually, what does this mean? What are, why are all these other people making these decisions, right? Or why would someone say X, Y, and Z? What type of, what type of understanding are they coming at this from? Like, and instead of just taking everything as the negative, how can you actually use this as improvement? You know, and that's the big thing for me is you can always get better. You can always get better at what you're doing. Um, even if you're excelling, even if you find you're having a lot of success, there's even more ways to be successful. Uh, shout out to Cleveland, Ohio. You guys just saw, you guys see LeBron James, like at 36 years old, he is always finding a way to improve as a player and always finding things small, even small details that he could just get a little bit better in each and every year. Um, and I, I have students who love the anime of uh, Naruto and that char specific character Naruto, for those who haven't watched, he isn't the brightest uh, ninja in school, but he has a lot of natural ability, but also he has this, his insane like drive to just always get better. He's very competitive with the people around him, but also because he has this like really high goal every single class or episode, he's always training. He's always trying to get better at his craft. He's always figuring out what do I need to do to get better at this? You know, what do I need to do to actually switch these things around? And maybe sometimes that does involve putting yourself in a space that means you're going to get a lot of negative feedback. You're going to get a lot of criticism that you would consider negative. However, sometimes it's not necessarily, oh, you suck at this or, oh, you're not doing this good, but it's like compared to what you could be doing, you could be doing some stuff better. And these are the things that you can be doing better, right? Um, I, for people who are authors out there, writers out there, like if you're not getting the reading or engagement that you want, like actually explore, like what, what more can we do to actually like improve this process? Or also with the people that you do find success in, what are you doing well in this area that you could also like keep manifesting or keep on building in? Because there are also some things that we're doing very well. It's just like, it's early. You know, we're just now touching the surface of that. And so it's like finding out how to do that better. You know, there's a process that, excuse me, that might be the one that might be the one that gets us lightning in a bottle. It's just we haven't really like tapped into it yet or we haven't like figured out, oh, how do we do this on a grand scale or oh, like 
how does this look in like a matter of more time? So just figuring out what those improvements are and just like really investigating deeply. I'm really getting at the heart of that and getting at the heart of everyone else's point of view when it comes to like our improvement as well too. Cause we got haters, but like, why are people haters? Like really, why, why are they hating on you? Sometimes it might be because like you actually are doing well and they don't want to say it. Other times it might be, oh, maybe you suck, but you need to do a better job at sucking. Like um, <laughs> there are people who aren't funny in this world, but like they can still find a way to be humorous, you know? So like, there's a better, there's like, there's always a better way of doing something or like even, um, yeah, just always a better way. There's always a way to improve and just figure out what that is. Instead of taking that negative, what does it look like through the lens of improvement? Yeah. Boom. Thanks, Brian. If people want to connect with you, where's the best way? to find you uh so definitely you can find me in the wild wild west of twitter at only i can be stew uh there's no underscores it's o-n-l-y-i-c-a-n-b-e-s-t-e-w um only i can be stew also instagram same handle um i'm also on clubhouse as well so you can look me up on clubhouse brian stewart at l84wrk um, I also have like a small YouTube channel, a music channel as well, too. So um, if you look up uh, Late for Work, which is L84WRK, um, you'll find me as well on Instagram, on Clubhouse, on, uh, excuse me, on YouTube. Just like catching a breeze, man. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing so open heartedly today. It means the world to me. And just want to say thank you again from the bottom of my heart really appreciate you no thank you peter man like you're you're doing an amazing job here and like i just i love sharing and having these deep conversations man and um also just anything we can do to help put, push and move people forward the right people at that i'll say that too you're talking to the right people because there because there are sometimes or like people listening here like they should have some of the opportunities and the successes that like there are certain people who didn't really earn it or maybe they shortcutted things, but people here are actually doing the right thing, man. So I appreciate you. Awesome. And thank you everybody that are still here listening, watching. I really appreciate you. I told you this many times before, and if you knew this will be the first time you hear it, but certainly not the last. I want to help many, many, many fucking people, at least 10 million people to go after their dreams. So please help me on that journey. Share share this podcast with somebody who need to hear the message. Give us a review. You know, do something great in this world. And the best the best thing you can do to give me fuel to do more is to actually go out and do the best with your life to make this world a better play, better place. If you want to check out more of these conversations, go to ilovesuccess.co. I'm on YouTube. You can just type in my name or the I Love Success podcast. We're on iTunes, pretty much everywhere. You can get more than 200 of these amazing conversations. Reach out to me. Tell me about your dreams. This show has ended and now the beginning of your life um, starts. So get out of here, kids, adults, who, whoever you are, and do something great with your life. Thank you so much and see you next week.